You are now listening to the Big Data Beard. Got it. Nailed it. <laughs> I probably will, I'll try to get it right every time. Can you do it in prime time though? Yeah, I know that's, <laughs> that's, the, question. <laughs> that's the question. Can you do it right? All righty. Hi, I'm uh, Corey Minton with the Big Data Beard podcast, and we are at Data Science Salon in Austin, Texas today. And we're excited to have Eunice Chinju from DataGig to join us. Eunice, why don't you tell us a little bit, a little bit about yourself? Yeah, thank you so much for having me, guys. Um, again, my name is Eunice Chenju. I'm the founder and CEO of DataGeek, um, an online marketplace that helps um, small to medium enterprises hire and um, and connect data sciences um, for projects that they have on demand. Um, a little bit about myself. I uh, originally from Cameroon in Central Africa. I've been in the U.S. for about seven years now. Um, graduated from college just a little bit over two years ago with a degree in mathematics and statistics. Um, um, I got out of college and my first job out of college was at Apple as a data analyst. That's when um, I fell in love with the data world and I found it so fascinating what you were able to do with data. But I remember at the time it was also something very new because as soon as I got into the field and then I started getting involved and looking more into data science and AI and machine learning, I realized that so many people were talking about it, but very few actually knew what it meant, <laughs> right? Um, from us, the data scientists or the data analysts that were trying to get into data science or software engineers trying to get into data science, we were being sold everything from coding boot camps, um, go, go back to school and get a master's or a PhD in mathematics and computer science um, and then you will eventually get a job right a few of my friends that went that route were out of coding boot camp six months and they couldn't find a job because everybody was saying we need some years of experience we need five six seven ten years of experience and you don't have that right because data science need domain knowledge <laughs> on the company side if you were not apple or google or facebook or dell um, that could hire hundreds and hundreds of data engineers and data scientists you couldn't afford to have that sexy thing that everybody was talking about. Yeah. So when I came across that problem and I was in those data analysts trying to get into data science field and so many of my friends from my meetups, my LinkedIn connection, there was so much complaint around that end that I decided how can I solve this problem? I've always had an entrepreneurial mindset of mine. I've always known that I wanted to be in that field. So I started digging more into how can I solve the data science gap okay. that we have right now. And that's a little bit how my company came about. Very cool. So our, uh, you said it before, data scientists are very hard to find for many organizations. Yes. So are you saying they're still unicorns like we've talked about for years? They're... <laughs> Like the mythical beast? I don't think that has changed. Okay. I think they are still unicorns. And the reason why um, I feel that way is because when people go out there and they're looking for data scientists, mm -hmm. they are looking for generalistic data scientists, right? Data scientists that can do a little bit of everything. Because mm -hmm. eventually, if you cannot afford to pay a statistician and a data analyst and a data engineer and a data visualization person or like a group of it, like software engineer, right? You want one person that can possess all of those skills. Mm -hmm. And if you're getting out of an academia, you most likely don't, right? Yeah. And we still have a good amount growing that have 
that don't have that. So that's still hard to find. Okay. So data science is much oftentimes a team sport, as you said. Yeah. So how is DataGig seeking to make it more possible for those organizations that don't have maybe all the skills? Like what is DataGig exactly doing? Yeah, so we focus being the middlemen. We are like the matchmakers of data sciences, the way we like to think about it. And our goal from day one has been to help small to medium companies that cannot afford to hire a full-time team in-house and connect them with either a freelancer for a contract work or a specific project where we can put a team together or match them with one of our vendor partners. We've connected with quite a few outsourcing companies or software development companies or consulting firms. And depending on what the clients want, uh, we provide you those services on demand at a lower risk and at possibly a lower price than hiring somebody full-time. Yeah, so when you talk about what clients want, right? Data science, data modeling, that's one part of the overall process. Are you seeing the need for data engineers as well? The wrangling, the collecting of the data? Are you helping solve that challenge as well? I think that is actually one of where most of our clients come from because a lot of our clients are at a very early stage of really understanding why it's data science. Mm -hmm. So when they come to us, they're like, we have a bunch of data all over the place and we want to figure out how we can have a centric, potentially maybe a data warehouse um, where we can potentially put all of those data in one place and understand how can we see metrics and actually eventually measure them. Okay, so it's the strategy of yeah. you know actually developing some type of data analytics, you know, strategy really. Exactly. And then collecting the data. And then but it's not is it also actually helping deploy and using some of these really super cool algorithms that are out there? Are you doing that as well? So we haven't really gotten to that stage. Okay. Um, our company is very early stage, and I'm hoping for more of those projects in the future. Um, last year was a lot of growing and really understanding what we wanted to do and how we're going to be able to help those two demographics, right? Because keep in mind, last year we had over 500 data scientists sign up on our platform, and over 80% of those were straight out of academia, had no experience whatsoever. So that was really like limiting our beliefs of, hey, you can get out and you can start working on projects because, you know, you deserve to have some kind of, some, some kind of experience in your portfolio mm -hmm. for anybody to hire you. But when those clients came and they said, you know, we have these projects, very few of them were comfortable delegating those projects yeah. to newbies. Hmm. That's interesting because we've, you know, we've heard, you know, data science is this like super attractive job, as you very well said. We all, <laughs> but, yeah. but it's weird that we're not like able to marry maybe somebody that comes from academia, like connect them with somebody that has the domain experience to actually make data science a team sport. That feels like a challenge that is almost cultural. Yeah. I wonder if there's a chance, like if, is there more proof points that are needed? Like well, how does DataGig help really come alongside and help both parties, the enterprises who are trying to get data science projects moving forward and do so with the talent pool that you've got and the talent pool actually get that experience. What is the unique thing that DataGig is going to help to move both parties forward? Yeah, so last year, again, last year was a lot of like learning experience, right? So when I received those data scientists, I was really not sure how, because I'm like, 
the whole point why I started my company was because I wanted to help this 80 something percent of people. And if I'm only matching them to jobs that are actually qualified, mm-hmm. I'm really letting go a big demographic of people that I need. So one of the faces of data geek that we have been working super hard, which is not even public yet. I pitched this idea at a conference last year, like last November, applied AI submit. And I got a lot of feedbacks and a lot of interest. And it was a data science apprenticeship program. Yeah. Yeah. I like that idea. <laughs> yeah. Because the goal was we have this huge amount of newbies, right, that are trying to get into the data science workforce. And we have to small to medium companies that maybe have one or two data scientists in the in your team, but we need someone that can come and like help delegate some of the little jobs that they wouldn't be willing to do. So we will match them everything is to remove is visual because at the end of the day if you're a data scientist you can work with your computer and that's pretty much all you need um it will be remote work and about a three to six months process of really just learning by doing and not learning because you got some dummy projects online or some dummy data online you're actually working hands in hand with a team with a specific company for a certain amount of time at the end of the three or six months that company is willing to give you a recommendation on linkedin or eventually add that experience on your portfolio as hey I've actually worked with the company for six months now I have something and I'm ready to like put myself on the job market yeah that's really cool I I like the idea I think it's a a great way to expand the talent pool and get them ready to do more serious data science jobs Um, I'm curious though you know what is the demographic of the companies that are working with you to kind of solve some of their challenges. Can you talk a little bit about, uh, you know, the industries or the size of the companies? Yeah, so again, like our focus has been very smaller, mid-sized market companies. Uh, One of our very recent clients is a startup. They have less than 10 employees. And um, one of their projects was to get that, that baseline, right? Get some data strategy, get some data infrastructure. It's an application that is supposed to connect hands in hands with people that need handy work. You have probably heard of some familiar other products like TaxRabbit or anything like that. But the way this company is doing differently is they are also connecting with vendor partners. So Home Depot, for example, in such a way that when a hands in man need maybe like some materials, whether it being a trailer or something that will help him in his job, um, they can easily rent that either from the vendor panel or like some other um, <laughs> um, or another handyman and use that. So the way he, we were working with the client was we are going to go ahead, build the data infrastructure, make some data strategy, and potentially when we collect the right data and the right matrices, we can do some recommendation engine in the future. When you collect as much data. So is that a traditional kind of engagement with enterprises? I'm curious what the, like how an organization, you know, small or, or however large they are, how they actually interact with you. Like what is that process in terms of, you know, the, do they just sign up on the website and kind of say I have a project or is there a more consultative conversation? What does that engagement for your customers look like? Because we are such a new company, our interaction with our customers are very relation base so most of our clients haven't really just haven't come from our website we have actually had most of our customers from linkedin just having conversations or going to conferences and meeting people and exchanging or events um, and saying hey this is what we are doing this is how we can help you and usually it's like i am the front face so i'll go and i'll speak to them and if i qualify them i hey this is a potential customers they 
I will analyze what project they have, what are some outcomes that they want out of the project or goals of the company. And based off of that, I will pick which vendor panel, which freelancer might be right for them. And they'll do a consultation and see if it's the right fit and then move from there. You got to love the power of conferences, right? Yeah. yeah. We go to a lot of them. We're here, Data Science Salon. I'm, I'm having a great time uh, this week so far. What conferences do you attend and you know how are you getting the company's name out there? Yeah, so I have, I, th- I have probably spoken at over 10 conferences last year. And the reason was because I really wanted to build the brand of Data Geek. We were just a small company in the data science world and it's easier for anybody to be like, but I don't know you. Yeah. <laughs> but if I go to a conference and I'm a speaker and I'm putting the word of Data Geek out there, it gives me more credibility. And that's really how conference like, hey, I heard you or I found you from being a speaker at this conference. And usually my conference are applied AI, data science um, conferences that I'll go most likely. Nice. So you engage with you know, finding customers at conferences, but I'm guessing, especially in one like this where there's a lot of practicing data scientists, it's probably a great opportunity for you to find, you know, your freelancers and talent. So if somebody is a, you know, an emerging data scientist, they're just coming out of school, how do they become part of your kind of that staff pool or that, that how do they become part of the team at DataGig? So most of our data scientists actually sign up from our platform, but our customers is another way around. Really? Okay. <laughs> so a good amount of our data scientists from us advertising online and speaking, and then it's easier for data scientists to go on our platform, have a portfolio put in some of the information and go from there. Um, as for the clients, we have to do more of the work. Okay. So when you look at the the world of artificial intelligence and data science, are there any particular trends or you know current kind of innovations that, that you think are the most interesting or that maybe you're hearing from clients are the ones that they want to take advantage of the soonest? From what I've seen, right, uh, bigger guys um, – are doing more revolutionary, like more game-changing stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, the smaller guys are, are still trying to adapt with the smaller ones, right? Everything from a recommendation engine, natural language processing, computer vision, um, at the basics that a lot of, especially startups, I've seen startups that um, I'm, 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 I'm building this application that is supposed to recognize beautiful places to take pictures around Austin area. Okay. I'll need a computer vision software that might be able to like analyze and recommend based off of that this this is i think this is a beautiful location we should take advantage of that from um just a marketing agency saying i am so tired of like having to deal with all of this customer across all of these different platforms is a single way that i can pull out all of those reports and put them in one place mm-hmm. and eventually give some recommendations to my clients through automations and i don't have to wait 20 or 30 hours of my employees to do that job for myself. Um, in terms of like bigger projects, I, I, I really think AI have, the way we have been looking at AI so far have been very singular projects, right? It's like this project is specifically for computer vision. This project is specifically to, for automations and this mm-hmm. Like very singular. Yeah, very narrow. Exactly, yeah. right? And the way I see AI going is actually getting to put it, taking all of these forces and putting them into one product and having a functional, fully AI product. A more general AI, yeah. 
That's the future, the singularity, hopefully, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think right now it's very man-made or manual AI. Yeah. When do you think we're going to... Give us a date. When do you think we're going to get to the singularity or some type of move from manual to more automated AI? I Any thoughts? I think we're, we're getting there. I see this happening in five years. Five years. All right. Okay, I'm, I'm a little, little more skeptical <laughs> than that. Um, I'm hoping... 10 to 15 years off. Well, I mean, I'm hoping for five, but it's I'm yeah. hoping I'm hoping for five, but to be honest with the amount of innovations that and and I'm I'm always I'm always digging. I'm always on YouTube. I'm always yeah. like in the news trying to see some new softwares or some new hardware that people are putting out there in terms of AI and when you go to conferences, you see the amount of crazy things people are building out there. Yeah. It seems like it's way closer than it it, it should be. I think that's part of the the thing, the stigma that surrounds AI around, you know, people worried about their losing their jobs to AI, you know, am I going to get automated out or so much of that. I, I think actually a lot of it stems from the fact that a lot of the AI projects, we're underestimating how rapidly they mature. Mm-hmm. And I think that's to your point. I think we all have this vision like, oh, it's going to be about five years. And then all of a sudden when it's two, we're like... Well, I didn't Whoa. see that coming. <laughs> now, now I'm really scared. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's so many projects being been built. And I was working, one of the smartest men I know in the data science world, one of, I forgot his full name, but he built Sophia. Have you guys mm-hmm. heard of Sophia? Yeah. The, well, the talking. Yeah. Yeah. And he his goal in terms of like building Sophia is that if I, if I have built one Sophia, right, mm-hmm. I can build two Sophias and put all of those information in a cloud in such a way that right now man has to replicate one robot to another, mm-hmm. right? But we want to get to that point where Sophia can eventually replicate herself and herself and herself. Yeah, that's, that's, that's when Terminator cool. takes over. <laughs> that's the that's when Skynet goes online. That's the when the machines start building each other. That's when we're really in and trouble. That's, that's when I go to the mountains. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. But eventually, that's that's the way they're trying to go, and and they are working day and night every single day to get yeah. to that point. So last year was all about building a brand and starting to get the company going. Now this year, you're, what's what's on the table for you in 2019, and what do you see as the the real future for Data Gig? So in terms of 2019, uh, I see more partnerships, right? Uh, more collaborations with other companies. Like I have a list of companies that I'm just going to get get to from like, you need to work with Data Gig. Like this is where um, I see the future of Data Gig going. I mean, everything from even, I'm, I'm a big fan of open source software, um, getting to the point where we can utilize, because a lot of companies that reach out to me, most of the time they don't have money. And I'm like... It's because you don't know open source software. Yeah. Uh, um, so work with different companies from, I've, I've seen a few software companies that can deploy AI algorithms in the cloud nowadays. And if you're working with the remote teams, I mean, there's data security that is a, a big deal. Mm-hmm. And most of these companies can provide that as a backend for data gig um, to be able to, to collaborate with other data science concepts. I mean, for me, it's... M- 2019 is all about collaborations and partnerships. Very cool. So how do people learn more about Data Gig? What's the best place for us to learn more and their listeners to learn more about your great company? Yeah, so definitely like 
check out our website, datagig.co. Um, and most of our social media, I'm super active in most of them, especially Instagram. For some reason, I don't know why. Um, I'm a big fan of Instagram, LinkedIn, and f- our Facebook page. And if you're interested in being part of a really cool group, I don't know if I can say this word, but the name of our group is Badass Data Scientists and Engineers. So look us up on Facebook. Very it's a cool. great group. Great it's an awesome group. We're, we're big fans. We'll keep. I think with that one, we can still keep our clean rating on iTunes. We'll be all right. Don't worry about it. Awesome. <laughs> We've learned a lot from our guests about big data, but now it's time to get a bit personal. In a segment we like to call Rapid Fire. Pew, pew. We want to find out a little bit more about you personally. Yeah, get to know you a little bit better. Sounds good. All right, cool. So what's the latest book that you've read that you would recommend to our listeners? Um, so a lot of people are not a big fan of this author, but I love him. And um, the name of the book is Sell or Be Sold. And I think it's an amazing book. I think anybody in this world needs to be a salesperson. It always sounds bad, but um, we are always selling ourselves in life from dating to going to the grocery store to like speaking to our employers or being an entrepreneur or a salesperson. You're either selling or you're being sold. No, absolutely. Just not the hard sale every time, right? You don't yeah. go, go to the grocery store and be like, <laughs> Alex, Buy, always, yeah. always be closing. Always be closing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so 10 conferences last year you spoke at. When you do go on stage in front of a large audience, if the, you had a entrance music, what would it be? Huh. <laughs> I've never thought about this. All right. That's okay. We, we, you can think about it because, I, I mean, I think there's a lot of goes. Like some people are like, we will rock you. <laughs> Uh, I think mine would be Big Rings by Drake, mostly because it talks about my team, because I love my team. I always go back and forth on mine. I like, so the Red Sox, they have entrance music for all the players, and my favorite one's X Gonna Give It To You, Xander Bogarts. (laughs) I was like, that would be me, but then probably not. (laughs) No, probably not. (laughs) Now I have to think about mine, because I have no idea. Okay, so now when you think about it, here's what I want. I want you to think about it, and then your next conference... I want you to tell the like the AV person in the back to have it playing. That's amazing. We will. I want. I want yeah. that to happen. We'll, uh, and then and then tweet it or Instagram it, and, and then we'll know. And we'll, we'll know. Yeah. Awesome. We'll do I'll that. Do that. <laughs> All right. So, what piece of technology is currently making your life worse? I would say my iPhone. Okay. How so? It's a big distraction. Mm, yes. Yes, 100%. they are. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's it, it's changed human interaction forever. Like, yeah. Just. Get and it, it reminds me that it's destroying my life because Apple has this new thing that says, oh, you spent five hours on your screen today. And I out of those five it. hours, you only had two minutes that you were productive. Just pretend that the phone was on in your pocket the entire <laughs> time. That's <laughs> yeah, the idea. I'm like, no, I, it's because I was doing GPS. Because <laughs> yeah, I was exactly. driving. Because you were driving for, for 10 minutes. <laughs> All right. So what is your biggest personal money pit right now? What is the money, Pete? What are you spending all your personal money on? Like something cool or something like a house? Or do you have a, like a hobby that's really expensive? Wow. I was, you guys are like hitting me with this question. <laughs> <laughs> I told you. That's fun. <laughs> so the idea is like, so like, I'll tell you mine. So my money pit is, uh, well, first I have kids. So they're, they're the number one. I spend a lot of money on them, but I'm into race cars. So I have a track car that I, you know, I'm set up for driving on racetracks. So that's my money pit. I collect wine and I buy way more wine than I should. Uh, And that's my biggest money pit right now. And smart homes. (laughs) So maybe as a startup, are you spending all your money on travel? I probably just spend... 
I'm very careful with my money. <laughs> Good for you. That's a that's an <laughs> even better <laughs> answer. I like that's it. That's wisdom. I like yeah. that. <laughs> um, are there any shows that you're binging on right now? Anything you're watching a lot on, like Netflix or something? I'm waiting for Game of Thrones. Oh, April nineteenth. We were yes. talking about that yesterday. I'm excited. <laughs> we watched a couple episodes last night. We're getting getting prepared for that. Yeah, we're ready. Uh, and then lastly, where's the next next interesting place that you're going to? Toronto, Canada. Okay, I've never been. Ooh. Have you not? Excellent. Toronto's beautiful. Yeah, it's fun. I'm going to Collision Conference, so that would be awesome. Oh, awesome. awesome. <laughs> Toronto is like this massive technology hub these days. I read an article that said Toronto added more uh, new tech jobs last year than San Fran, New York, and Chicago combined. Wow. I mean, it is an absolute on fire. So maybe tech I should hub. move down there. That's not a bad idea. <laughs> They've got lots of customers and lots of data scientists and a great university there. Queen's University is, uh, are they in Toronto? No, they're in... Uh, well, anyway, somewhere, somewhere in there. They're awesome. They're, Canada's there, great. Yeah. We love Canada. Well, it was so very nice to have you on, Eunice. It was great to hear about what Data Gig's doing to connect companies with talented data scientists and data scientists with projects that will help them build out their portfolio. Thank you so much for being on the Big Data Beard Podcast. Thank you for having me, guys. Thanks for listening to the Big Data Beard Podcast. The music from this episode is by Andrew Bell. Check him out on iTunes or Spotify.